Hello and welcome to episode 5 of Mountain Mindset. My name is Andrew Manzuk, I'm a mental performance coach, professor of sports science, and the founder of MZK Performance. This week I'm joined by Grace Defoe. Grace is a Team Canada skeleton athlete, having represented her country at both junior and senior events. It was great to hear Grace's enthusiasm for the psychological side of performance, and I really appreciated all the applied strategies she provided throughout. On that note, let's dive right into our conversation. Grace, thank you for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me. So why don't you kick us off here and introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about your journey. Yeah, sounds good. My name is Grace Defo. I'm on the Canadian National Skeleton Team. And I was a figure skater before that, but then I turned to a little, little different of an ice sport uh, about nine years ago now. And I'm born and raised in Calgary, so kind of a been able to ride the high of the legacy of the 88 games out there and then yeah I, I, it's been a wild adventure we're going to talk lots about my last nine years in skeleton over the next little bit and the twists and turns it it took but I'm currently in Whistler BC so close to you and we're out here ending the season on a on a training camp so it's been a wild year of COVID a wild year of traveling during COVID but happy to um to be on ice was there anything in particular that prompted that change over to skeleton from figure skating? I mean, there's not really many options of what you can do um, when you're 18, 19 years old. Um, most sports, obviously, like skating, you have to start when you're really young. So I think like we would know now that there's like the RBC training ground program that people can go into that identifies like what your second sport can be. Well, that wasn't around. So I literally think I just like, I was watching the 2010 Olympics and, you know, saw all these awesome sports. Then I was like, maybe I could do speed skating. And it just kind of so many things came together and aligned in the right way that gave me the opportunity to try skeleton. And obviously being in Calgary, we previously have a, had a track there um, that's now been closed. But having it right, you know, half an hour from my house was also um, just it would not an opportunity most of most Canadians get so that that added into it and then yeah it just I wasn't ready to be done being an athlete so I sought out another opportunity and fantastic so what's something that we might not know about you uh I'm such an open book this is I, I've had this question a few times um so I guess like the assumption is that oh you're on the national skeleton team you you must be some sort of pro athlete and I'm not, I work full time. Um, you know, I, I call skeleton my, my side hobby as much as I'm trying to treat it also like a full time job. Um, but I work full time for a nonprofit called Classroom Champions, which basically um, we work with social emotional learning in classrooms all over North America. And I help put athlete mentors digitally into classrooms um, that then mentor them through all these awesome um, content talking about like goal setting, perseverance, diversity, all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of funny that I help coordinate actually some of my teammates as the athletes going into these classrooms. But yeah, so it's common misconception that, you know, these high level athletes, but really most of us, it's our side hustle. Well, they sound like complimentary worlds to be involved in. For sure they are. Um, and, and it's, we were, we were remote work friendly pre COVID and now it's even easier to take my work on the road with me. So, and, and obviously like I said, the worlds collide together. My, the co-founder and CEO is an Olympic bobsled champion from 2010. So he understands the athlete life as well. So it's been really awesome to have someone mentor me in a sense in career and in sport, you know, he's kind of provided both those opportunities for me. So it's been really great. And then how long have you been with that organization? Um, I took an internship actually in 2018 as a athlete intern the first time they ran this program and so I was basically volunteering then kind of a small stipend and then it turned into a full-time opportunity just over the over the summer actually of last year amazing it's uh I mean everything so far about the journey sounds so serendipitous the way it's kind of come together yeah no that and that's I've toyed with so many words and serendipitous and like 
you know, just everything coming together at the right time is how I would describe a lot of the last 10 years of my life. <laughs> so then, has there been any standout moments along the way? <laughs> yeah, I mean, a few for sure. Um, most recently, we could kind of work back chronologically, most recently making the national program. Um, you know, that's a goal. I didn't honestly know it would be in skeleton, but a goal since I was in elementary school um, as an Olympics-obsessed kid and loved figure skating and, and was pretty in, you know, ski, did gymnastics, did, did a ton of sports. And um, so, I mean, making a national team and, and like wearing a Canada jacket um, is a little bit of a pinch me moment. Um, but there's a lot of hard work that got me to that to that point. So there are a couple of like really standout moments. I would say I won a couple of North America's cup races one in Calgary, which was in my first year, I split internationally, um, 2014, 15 season, my family was there. Um, you know, I, I didn't really think I'd even represent Canada in a sport internationally. Um, and at that point I was still in the provincial program, but kind of got the call up to race internationally that season. Um, and then I want to race actually out here in Whistler, BC in 2017. Um, that was really, I'm jumping all over the place, but those were the two, <laughs> Those are the two kind of like moments that very different circumstances surrounded both of them of being kind of an underdog and not really knowing that I was, I could achieve that. And then achieving that um, was really great. And then there's one other one and it's the first time I went to Europe to slide and it was for world junior championships in 2016. So that was Europe. Sliding in Europe is like a whole other beast. It's like a big pond and you take the, the fish into a bigger pond and um that kind of gave me a taste of like yeah i i want to keep doing this yeah that was pretty early on in your kind of career to date like a good halfway point at this point um i started in 2012 and did two years of kind of just i was in university at the time and just did two years of sliding recreationally and going to school during the day working up at the um at windsport at the gym and and I didn't really know what it could turn into so and then after the 2014 games there was a bunch of retirements and kind of that's when I found out hey there's like open spots on this development level circuit the Norams so I was like great um I'll go race who knows what will happen and I actually ended up coming up third overall in that circuit that year I didn't even know we had overalls <laughs> so so um green I in a sense but yeah it uh that would have been about four or five years into the journey that I ended up in Europe. So, And how was that experience of achieving that outcome goal in your, in your hometown? You mentioned you grew up in the Calgary area. Yeah. I mean, it just was such, it's not even, it wasn't even about the sliding. It was more so that like I got to the top and my family's there. Um, like my boyfriend's there, like, and you're standing um, the, the hill, like looks over a lot of the city as well. So it just kind of, in a sense is nice because it was home and like I learned to slide on that track. Um, yeah, I mean, every, the win in Whistler has completely other amazing things, but it wasn't the same because I had to then call my mom and be like, Hey, I just want to race. Yeah. I guess they knew at the moment of it, rather of it happening, rather than having to let them know afterwards. Yeah, exactly. So that's just a little bit of a difference. Um, but I will take either any day. <laughs> And you mentioned you recently got back from competing in Europe? Uh, no. So this year I actually spent, um, we spent most of the time out in Whistler. We sat out, our entire team sat out the first half, the kind of like November, December season, um, just trying to see what happens with COVID and all this stuff. And then part of the team went to Europe. Um, my team ended up, we isolated um, because it's a sport camp, it was like our rule. We had to basically isolate for five or six days, get a test, and then we could all become like, we could join together as a team. And then we traveled down to Park City, Utah in the States, and then hopped over to Lake Placid to race in some Norams. And then we got kicked out of Lake Placid because there was COVID cases rising. Um, the women's Isabel, like North um, National Women's Hockey League Isabel Cup was there as well. And then they basically said all the international athletes in this county have to go home. So oh. we, we quickly got our, got our bus back to Calgary and quarantined and got out to Whistler a little bit early, earlier than anticipated, but 
happy we got the chance to get our feet wet with a bit of racing, but I for sure missed missed Europe this year. Yeah, that sounds like it must have required a lot of flexibility and just like being on your toes as the season progressed. Yeah, I mean, it's just everything changes day to day. I, As you would know, I had to reschedule our interview <laughs> less than 24 hours prior just because of um, times we have to be at the venue and meetings and all this stuff every day is is a new challenge. But I think COVID has really just taught us that flexibility or like instilled it further. Totally. And then, so thinking about your career to date, have there been any major challenges? How did they affect you in the moment? And, and maybe looking back now, how, how have they affected you? Yeah, so I mean, there was a couple of years. Um, I mentioned the first time I went to Europe, I kind of had a really great season after that year. I spent an entire year in Europe and then I actually was cut from the national like prospects program for a solid year. Uh, maybe a year and a half and you know I had been in these Canadian selection races we do at the start of the year and then pulled out the next year um, and had to be like the forerunner so we test the track and stuff like that and I mean it was my own it wasn't all I don't blame anyone it was partly I didn't perform well in our testing um, I was in a car accident that summer I rolled my ankle um, and I'd never rolled my ankle before so it <laughs> blew up like a balloon a little bit but um, it was just like a series of events of all this stuff that happened that once test, I got around to the testing camps, I was slow, couldn't run very fast. They're like, what happened? It's like, where did all this go? And um, so, yeah, I was cut that year. So that was really tough. Just mentally seeing um, my teammates racing, you know, and I'm not in them. I was four running races previously that I had won. I was four running the Norams in Calgary. Um, yeah, it just was it was a crappy situation for sure. And like the impact was that I still see today is like, I was basically told that I was never going to make, like I was, I wasn't going to make it. I didn't have what it took. So kind of ship out. And I made kind of one last ditch effort a couple years ago that coming off that year um, and just sat down with my strength coach and I'm like, okay, like what's the missing piece here? Like what, what can we do? And, you know, looking holistically with, I trust her a lot. So I know she can help me with some other, other pieces around and direct me to people that, that could help me. And we basically blew everything up. And I said, uh, if I don't run the sprint standard this year in our testing, then I'm going to retire. And I turned around and I ran it right on the dot. <laughs> on the dot. Yeah. So we have to run, uh, it would be like a time. So um, a 4.2 second 30 meter would be the women's time or lower and I ran a 4.20 <laughs> how was that process of uh kind of going back to the drawing boards was, was that was that scary was that exciting like how would you describe that yeah I mean definitely scary but at a point too I had this like chip on my shoulder where I was like I think I I knew I could do it and so many people knew I could do it and I was like I've put so much into this already um, you know, going on six, five or six years and odd, 20 odd number of races internationally. Like I just knew that I, I would regret it if I was just like, meh, let's, let's be done with this. So part of me was just like, well, I have nothing to lose. So let's, let's go for it. But I it humbling for sure when I basically had to uncover every gap. Um, so, I mean, you, you just really have to be open and, and trust the person. I, I trust my, my whole team that I've built around me because we get the chance to curate our own team um, because we, we pay for them all. So um, I, really got to, I really got to do that, which I think is, is awesome. And it really did allow me to kind of just leave nothing off the table and, and move forward. Was there, was there ever a moment when you weren't going to give it a last go, kind of coming out of that season? Was there a point where you, you felt like you were going to throw in the towel left? Yeah, I mean, there was... So I was forwarding the... Um, I And I, I had written a lot of blogs, actually, um, around this time on my website. I would say I don't write as many now, but when I was kind of going through this period, I've written a lot. And rereading them, I feel like I blocked a lot of this from my memory. Um because of all the great stuff that's happened in the last couple of years. But um, yeah, it, it, for sure. I'm, 
there was times when you're watching people that you're like, man, I, I beat that person in a race before. And then they, you know, end up winning other races or they're going on to be at the Olympics for another nation and all this stuff. And I mean, I'm so happy for them because they're my friends away from the track, but it doesn't still this like, you know, I, <laughs> if they're there and that means that I have the potential too, but why haven't I been able to like even break into, into the Canadian program? So yeah, I would say for sure there was there was a couple moments and leading into that testing camp, I'm saying where I ran exactly on the standard. It was actually the day before my birthday too. So just to add add into the stuff, um, and it was during the Calgary Stampede, so the greatest outdoor show on earth, and all my friends are out. It's like my birthday. Generally, I do a couple fun things, go see a concert, whatever, and I like literally was a hermit, or as we call COVID lifestyle now, um, for 10 days prior to... Um, to testing camp just really trying to buckle down and it was all worth it but I I, I went into that day and I kind of was like I did everything I can so if it doesn't happen it doesn't happen but we did test times about a couple weeks out and I was about 1500s off this sprint standard and I was like uh-oh we're gonna be close <laughs> that's uh I, I that's such just such an uplifting story Yeah, um, I mean, I look back now and it's just, it's funny to recount because maybe a part of me did know that I would make it, but for sure there was moments where I was just like, you see people, you see friends retire and and you're like, maybe it's time, maybe it is time to move on. But I, I'm glad I didn't and I'm I'm very happy that I persevered. I think it stands out when we talk about this, kind of what mindset you approach uh, life with, performance with, you know, be that athletics or, or your career outside of outside the sport but I'm, I'm curious if you could give us just an overview of what that mindset is like what's the framework you see the world through i and some people are like wow you're really an optimist but i am like a total realist i think um i try not to be too optimistic but then i try not to be too pessimistic as well and i'm like i believe in me and i think i can do great things um but I would definitely say that I've struggled just to like outwardly own a lot of the stuff and the accomplishments until I had a couple of people sit me down the last year. They're like, you're on the national team. Like you gotta, you gotta say it, you gotta own it. And that really also has helped, I guess, like the confidence in itself. And it, it goes into my sliding. I'm more confident. I'm willing to take more risks on the sled, which previously I would say I haven't been able to. Um, so yeah, I mean, I like to do, I like to be busy is like my mindset. I like to do a lot of stuff. I like to have a lot on the go. I don't like to put all my eggs in one basket. Um, so it definitely, I would say, but some people view that as having one, one foot out and they're like, oh, you have one foot out of sport because, you know, I have a career and I'm doing all this stuff outside of being on the actual track. But it, it just provides me a little bit of balance. And for me, it's all about like, I have, the box that as soon as I get to the track, the work box is closed. Everything else is closed. I'm there to slide. I'm there to do that job. And so I open that up. I start my mental prep, visualization, all that stuff to slide. And then pretty much we have what we call like shutdown or recovery. Pretty much from the moment the session ends, you have an hour where it's like, you don't think about sliding. Um, you don't really do anything that pertains to, to any of that sliding. You just put that in a box and you save that for review later. And then for me, that's when I get to turn my attention to my work and I get to open up that box. And it, it's a great distraction. You do have to be really careful about balancing it um, because it, I, can, I can take on too much and get too tired. But it is nice to just have a distraction and not sit and think of sliding all night and be like, oh, my gosh, what if I was 0 0.01 faster through this one split? Like it, <laughs> I, can, I can fixate, so I do need to like pivot and distract myself a little bit. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that's the healthiest coping strategy, but that's, that's how we roll. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, I, I'm a high performer. I'm, I like to be, I, and I'm a bit of a perfectionist at times. And I would say that's sometimes to my detriment, but um, yeah, I like to excel at all the things that I take on. So that's where kind of my mindset is. Once I'm in, I'm all in and, and tell me how, you know, I'll consult the experts. How can I be better? Tell me how to be better. What can I work on? So that's a bit where my brain is at whenever I maybe start something new or 
that's kind of, I, you know, I would use that strategy with my coaches when I attacked this training camp we're in right now, this block, you know, I'm like, what is the main priority that needs to be achieved? Tell me what I need to do and I will do it. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious, do you have any challenges with uh, separating those elements of your life out into those boxes? Does it ever, is that ever difficult or does it bleed over or do you feel like you pretty adapt to that? Every day is a balance for sure. Um, I'd like to say I'm good at it, but I think that I do still struggle. Just sometimes there aren't enough hours in the day is what kind of what it feels like. Um, so it can be tough to feel like overtired or burnt out, I guess would be the main limiting factor in that. Um, but I do feel like because my job is remote, at least I'm not like exerting myself physically. So that, that does help towards my performance. Um, so in a sense, like I, I did a couple jobs earlier on in my skeleton career that were very physically demanding, but not as mentally demanding. And I think that that's, I'm willing to trade off for a less physically demanding job for a more mentally demanding job. And for sure, I work, like it's a nonprofit I work for. So it's a grind, but I think my mindset as well, I set clear boundaries in my work schedule. You know, I am out of office these hours, but they know that if they message me, I'm not going to get it, but I'll look at it when I get back and I will do the thing or, <laughs> or communicate where things are at with that specific project. So in a sense, it's just, I have to set clear boundaries with, with both sides. And also with my, with these, with camps and with sliding, like you can't always control when we're sliding, but, um, you know, I also have to set clear boundaries for when we have video review and stuff like how long is it going to take trying to get a schedule a couple days in advance because I'm not the only one working. So um, kind of many things and occasionally one drops, but then you pick it up and you just start all over again. <laughs> and it really sounds to me like you do a good job of taking the advantages or benefits of various aspects. So when you look at, um, for example, like perfectionism, you really utilize the positive aspects of perfectionism, which we see in a lot of high performers, right? They have these perfectionist tendencies and those very often drive high performance behaviors. If we can be mindful of the risk of, of burnout and prioritizing recovery, but it sounds like you, you really you do a really good job of uh, making the most of those while also keeping in mind that uh, there's a boundary and you don't want to go too far with it. Yeah. I mean, I don't claim to get to get the perfectionist struggle right every day, but for sure, like one of my goals right now in this training camp is to leave the track with one clear win, no matter how big or small. And it's because in video, I know that the coaches and myself, we will pick me apart, but in the best way, like, you know, again, we're looking for high performance. We're looking for hundreds of seconds, but if I leave with one clear win, then I know that and and I've communicated with them as well now that we've worked together all year that they can help me build that confidence that then it's like the compliment sandwich kind of but here's all the great things that went well today but we need to work on this so in a sense it's a team effort too you know I, I communicated very early on that I needed that and um, they've been really receptive to help me with that with that aspect so in a sense I like a supportive coaching staff um, really is is key to that because I can't do it alone it sounds like you've been really proactive with communicating with the coaching staff. Has that, has that always been the case, being really clear at negotiating kind of what you need from that relationship or has that come over time? I would say it's come more out this year um, and maybe COVID and work, like, you know, I, I, I was working, but I wasn't working full time. And I think now that balance as well has helped me develop that in my workplace, what I have with my manager there. And then I'm able to bring that. I approach my relationship with my coaches. Like I approach it with my manager at work. Um, you know, they're both two different jobs kind of. So in a sense, like I've got to practice that and articulating what I need and learn more about my, like how I'm best managed there and I'm able to apply it and vice versa. Um, so, I mean, it's a sense I get two different people to kind of test it out on two areas and, yeah. So, I mean, I, I would say before I was a little more go with the flow and just like, oh yeah, I get what I get. And that was kind of after so many years of not getting stuff because I was either not on the team or we didn't have a full-time coach with us and all this stuff. So now we have two full-time coaches with us for this training camp. And we did when we were in the States competing. And like, for me, 
going from a part-time coach in some, and sometimes like really no coaching at some tracks, like I'm like, you'd be crazy to not take advantage of it. So, and they, and they very much also, they're very practiced in coaching. So they've opened the door to how are you best coached and, and stuff like that. So again, it's give and take. If they didn't open that door up, would I be able to pry it open and be like, here's how the best coach me or, you know, it's so very much they opened the door and I saw my, my opportunity and I took it to be like, you know, this is who I am. And I also feel like now that I've been an athlete for, gosh, over 20 years now, but really high performance athlete for, for six years, you start to know more about what, what works for you. And I saw my moment to articulate it and they took it. So I'm very grateful for that. That really speaks to just like so much um, growth, I guess, over the years and, and self-reflection and being able to build upon that uh, year on year or season on season. Yeah, I mean, it building and, and creating that snowball effect of, you know, just getting better and better and better is, is really important, especially in a, in a mentally demanding sport. So I've really had to work on it. So what about mental skills use? You mentioned very briefly, like visualization, I think a ton of kind of communication and planning and pre-performance stuff comes out through our prior conversation. But are there any mental skills or psychological skills that you find yourself using often, either in the performance realm or for more of a recovery or wellness perspective? Yeah, I mean, the most key part is um, I work with a sports psychologist through the Canadian Centre for Mental Health and Sport. Um, she's also a mental performance consultant specialized in, in athletes. So I, I get the double whammy. I get the life side, but then I also get, you know, she can relate to what the elite athlete's brain is saying, whether it's related to my sport or not. Um, so really like that has been just knowing a place to like bounce stuff off of. And this happened in my race, like how could I have been better? And, and that in itself has been great. She's equipped me with a lot of these tools of like, I would say breathing. So like I've gotten into the habit now. Um, I used to be so nervous in Whistler. I would pace the start house. We go to a new track. I would pace and like, it kind of became like a thing that I was known for and not really what you want to be known for. Um, and I came back out at the end of last season out here in Whistler. And then this year and people were like, why are you not pacing? Like where, where's that at? And then this training camp, I found like, well, I need to use my breathing to like bring my awareness up. Normally I'm trying to like down regulate from that ang anxious level. So it's been really interesting. Um, the box breath is like, I would say my go-to, whether it be like I'm stressed out of the grocery store or I'm stressed out of the track. It's kind of like just bring things, brings things back and um, centers me for sure. And then I there's, I've tried a lot of different things, but really the, the most crucial thing I find for my sliding is that if something, if one of those like thoughts or what if thoughts start to like accumulate, I just like open the door and I'm like, I've been expecting you. I've been expecting this negative thought. And then I show them the back door. <laughs> so <laughs> um, that's something she taught me. And I, it really, it taught me that these thoughts are okay. And I'm not the only athlete that, that is dealing with this, but that, you then just like let it out but it, in a sense outside of like with her um you know I, I've tried meditating I find it really hard I, I don't know if you've noticed I have a lot of energy um so I I like I really like float tanks because you literally have to lock yourself in a pod full of water in complete darkness with some nice music and it's the only way I can relax <laughs> um I don't know I that's probably not a good thing but it works I feel really good after it's, um, it sounds like the psychological skills use here is really grounded in awareness. You spoke a little bit about connecting to your breath and using it as a as a centering activity as much as as a uh, kind of physical regulation activity. Yeah, for sure. It just kind of brings me back. It's like it kind of feels like if everything is around you and you just pull everything back into your center, you're like, okay, great, this is where I am. Um, and it's more so mentally. I would say like it puts me in that flow state to go down the track because the best runs you have, everything just comes naturally and you're like, you know exactly what to do and you're making decisions before you even know you're making them. So um, it's kind of like put you want to obviously put yourself as close to that state every time. And it's not always possible, but if you give yourself the best chance to, then 
then you're going to put yourself in a better spot to be more successful. But yeah, for sure. We visualize a ton. I mean, we only get two to three runs a day. That's less than a minute per run. Um, and we have half the year where they literally cannot ice the tracks. So you have to spend all that time off the ice. Sometimes we lay on our sleds too and rehearse the steers to feel our sleds, depending on if we have been to the track before, you know, we watch a video. Sometimes if we can't quite visualize yet, we use like YouTube, the point of view cameras, GoPros. They're super great because then you can see a skeleton sled go down the track and start to see what happens. And then you can also watch the old footage of the World Cup videos um, as well to see kind of some other lines. So if you can't quite grab the imagery in your head yet, there are some external cues we can use to help grab that imagery. I, I love the connection you shared earlier. And thank you for sharing that around uh, sitting with unhelpful thoughts and being able to acknowledge that they're there and acknowledge that it's uh, a common and almost an expected experience. And then being able to kind of let those go or sort them to the side when it comes down to uh, moving on with whatever practice you're in at the time. Uh, thank you for sharing that with us. Oh, no problem. I didn't realize it would be such a, such a mic drop moment. It just kind of seems normal now, but I've worked, you know, I've worked with this, um, with a psychologist for a while now and, and it has taken me a long time to actually practice it. So I will say that don't get deterred if anyone's listening and they're going to start trying, don't get deterred if you can't do it right away. It takes, it takes a lot of practice. And do you find it something that you're often practicing outside of sport and performance as much as inside of it? Because I feel like every time I introduce um, that kind of like letting go or act framework with athletes, it becomes a conversation around we can practice this when you get cut off in traffic or when you hit a red light on the way to on the way to the rink. Like it becomes, you know, look at all these times in our life we can practice this and not just like we only do this when we aren't when we're on ice. I'm probably better at doing it in the start house than I would be in traffic. Um, I'm not a very patient driver, I will say, but thank goodness I live in Calgary. Um, we don't have crazy traffic to deal with. Um, but sometimes it depends where I'm going. I, I, I find I've flown into obviously Vancouver airport quite a few times and driven up the sea to sky and I'll be in the middle of crazy traffic and I'll just be like, la di da, I'm just happy to be here and people must hate me. Um, so I guess it just depends what state I'm in, but yeah, I should probably be better at practicing it away from the track. But, you know, if I can practice it one place, it'll slowly it'll slowly expand and I'll get better at it. And it sounds like a tool that's really working for you, along with all the other mental skills that you, that you listed throughout the conversation there. Yeah, I mean, it, and I guess another thing I would say is don't be afraid if it doesn't work for you. There are other things, but um, it works for me and it's been very empowering, I guess, in a sense. So find that thing that works for you and, and run with it so how about habits and routines you i mean you strike me as someone that leads a pretty structured life and obviously you're juggling so many things at the same time it's almost a necessity are there any habits or routines that have been real game changers for you yeah um i i color code my calendar would be the first thing um probably not shocking um but that really just helps me look at my week and like if there's too much if it's too unbalanced like if someone asked me to pre-covid come out to an event or something like that and I'm like man I already have my 20 hours of training or I have my work or I already have another event that day and I know it depends what what season I'm in too if it's like that awkward off season before the off season starts like I don't mind and overloading myself a little bit in terms of like promotional events and, and all that. But um, yeah, that in a sense just shows me where my time is going and, and do I need to look to strike more balance? Do I need to ask at work for more support? Am I working way too much? Like that just helps me kind of visualize my week. Um, in a sense, I hate the word like ritual or that kind of stuff. I, I have routines that I like, but I'm not stuck to them because if, if my brain is set on something and I don't get it, it causes me to like it. it I just don't like it. I don't like if I'm like, man, I'm going to take, I'm going to take this, like I'm going to go to the gym for um, this night at this time before my testing camp. And then suddenly I can't get into the gym. I, I'm going to be disappointed. I'm going to be a little like, Oh my gosh, well now I'm not going to test well, like all this stuff. So the what if train starts. Um, 
so I mean I, I like to have a plan in a sense and, and I know what I like but I try to more loosely plan that downtime as to not create those expectations because I find if the expectations aren't created then things just you organically choose what you want and it's kind of like you know if I'm trying to wind down after a long training day I know what 10 things I can do and I kind of pick two or three of them um, and some days that's watching TV and having a cup of tea, like, you know, and it's not going to be always the most productive thing. So, um, in a sense, in such a highly scheduled work and sliding and, and training sense, I try to let those hours outside of it just be free and what, and just kind of let them, let them happen. Um, but I guess in a, <laughs> I'm trying to think, I guess, of what something like I, at the track, I'll say I like to, there's a certain way I like to get dressed and I like to do stuff in, in that order. And if I don't, I will have to like back it up and be like, like sometimes put padding in my suit and like, you just can't do it after you've already like got your speed suit on. So you have to like go back and then I'm annoyed because I was inefficient and I don't like inefficiency. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but like, I think if anything, COVID has just allowed me to try and be more relaxed about those routines and not let it affect me because so much has happened and, you know, racing has changed. We haven't been able to get into a gym most of the time when I was traveling. So like really you just like are happy to have a heavy bag that can act as a weight. And you're like, great, this is what we got. <laughs> it sounds like you're really mindful of that, um, that barrier line between what's a superstition and what's a routine as well. It sounds like that's something you, you do a really good job of acknowledging. Yeah. I've just heard it's from the horror stories of, of hearing other athletes that become so superstitious that I just never want to become that. <laughs> so along the way, is, I'm curious, is there anyone you've been particularly inspired by? And then the second part of that question is, is what did you learn from them? Well, geez, I mean, I could tell you 10 people in an hour that have inspired me. Um, there are a lot of really great people that have come along the way in my skeleton career. Oh, she's going to, I'm going to pump my friend's tires so much and she's going to love it. Um, my friend Michaela Widmer, I met through skeleton and actually we trained together when she was kind of like coming to the end of her skeleton career. And, you know, she just, she's now been I've competed with her at one of the races um, I roomed with her she's now one of my personal coach not related to national team coaches but on my personal coaching team um, and I guess in a sense she taught me one thing and it was kind of in that period when I was like maybe I should retire from skeleton I had seen a lot of my athlete friends start to retire and um, she said she kept this list when she was sliding and it was like things I've gotten out of skeleton and things I still want to get out of skeleton. And these aren't like all just medals. It's like friends, cool travel experiences, like, you know, got to do this and those kind of memories that you make um, along the way through all those travels or like for some, you know, we have access to education through game plan. So it might be like, cool. I got an MBA through <laughs> Queens and stuff like that. Um, or maybe that's something you want to get out of it. So she kind of like told me that she had had this list and she told me, Hey, you should like try think about making it. And it was really cool to reflect on all the awesome things that like that skeleton has given me and experiences and yeah, medals, but like, man, it's, that's not as much of it. It's more about like the feelings and the life experience. But then it was like more of a reflection of, do I keep going because are the things on the other side still worth it? And they still worth maybe the, I don't like to use the word sacrifice, but the, the choices that I'm going to make to pursue high performance sport further, um, you know, are they going to be worth, worth making those choices for? So she gave me that advice and the impact was that obviously I decided to continue sliding and not based solely on that, but it certainly helped that thought process. So, um, and, and I also, she also taught me it's, it's okay if you don't have all of those checked off. She had an Olympic games on there and she didn't achieve that, but she, represented two nations um in skeleton at the world cup level and world championships level so to me that was really inspiring um and i'm lucky to call her a friend a coach all these great things so um i probably won't send this to her because i don't want her to hear it because she'll 
she'll get all um she'll say oh you pump tires so hard but <laughs> thanks Michaela <laughs> <laughs> we can uh yeah we'll we'll ban her IP from seeing the YouTube video and we're, we're good she'll never see it <laughs> okay great so thinking back, would you give yourself uh, as a younger athlete any advice, maybe in your teenage years, during your figure skating career, or when you were starting off uh, in the sport of skeleton? Is there any advice that you'd offer like a, like a younger, younger Grace? Yeah, don't care so much what people think is a big one. And I think that comes as I, I've gotten older as well as, you know, communicating what works for me and not really caring. Not, I just not caring, but like, not fixing it. Um, the other one is kind of like don't don't change yourself to fit what someone else's mold they think like you are, and that doesn't just that's not just in sport. That's in like all life because I think that a lot of people when they think I don't know I'm I'm a quieter leader I would say in a sense and maybe not as vocal even though I, I can seem quite talkative, but in a group, I tend to be more of a listener. And a lot of people don't see that as a leadership style, but then I lead by example. And I think I thought that that wasn't a type of leadership early on in my, and more so in university and, you know, high school, but um, yeah, I've kind of learned that like there are other ways to like set examples and be a mentor and, and lead in a sense. And I've kind of like really capitalized that in the last few years in a sense of trying, just trying to give my time, to the people that I can make an impact with. So um, those are the two things that I kind of would, would even be, if you would have told me a year ago, I would have been like, what? That's crazy. Um, but I mean, so if I had learned it like 20 years ago, it'd be even better. It sounds like a leadership learning is something that's probably always developing too, right? We, especially maybe kind of athletes around like our age, like 20s, early 30s, we think of like leadership as oh, someone's at the front shouting instructions and they're the leader. And then more and more, as you spend more time in these high performance environments, you start to explore, oh, I had this coach who led like this or this team captain or manager who actually did these things. And that was, you know, really a leadership style, right? When we look at like social leadership or informal roles within groups. Yeah. And I think it's just important that people know that you can and, and sport provides great examples of all different kinds of leadership. So sport develops great leaders, breaking news. Who do, who do thought? <laughs> so what, what does the future look like for you? Do you have any projects coming up? Any, any big plans? What's, uh, what's the next you know, five, 10 years look like? I wish I had the answer to that. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I do struggle with this. I would say I've been working with, with Game Plan, who is, for those that don't know, like the athlete support for national team athletes. And we have advisors we meet with. And athlete life is so structured. And like I said, I like structure. And um, part of me is like, oh my gosh, I have a permanent job now that I eventually will, you know, either move to another position within the company or move to another another place. And part of that is really scary because you don't have the structure that that university maybe you know, gives you year one, two, three, four, five. Great. And then now it's kind of like, well, what do the next five years look like? And, um, right. So we'll start with right now. Let's, let's go with there. Um, I'm hosting a podcast right now. It's called the face first podcast. If people want to check it out, we're focused on community and sport in Calgary and, and Edmonton and Alberta. Um, my co-host is from, uh, Bob's Olympian from Edmonton. Alicia so that is exciting and something new that I didn't really foresee happening this year and suddenly there was a mic in front of my face and I was like cool I kind of I'll take advantage of this um yeah it's gonna be a big summer just I'm obviously we are heading into a very stressful I stressful year um I'm currently ranked fifth in Canada so I'm not gonna say like oh yeah I'm I'm gonna go to the games we send two to three women and we have three returning Olympians in our program in the women's side. And we have an amazing stacked women's program, um, you know, and I'm proud to call them my teammates, but at the other end, it's going to be really awesome for me to experience an Olympic selection race series within Canada. And um, as mentioned, I was forerunning the last ones because I was cut from the team. So um, it's a sense for me to be able to like rehearse with none of the, expectations and and all that jazz so i'm just trying to take all of that in and enjoy the ride 
for the next year um, <laughs> and kind of set no. I'm trying not to take on too much because I think obviously training the summer is a big, a big task itself. And, you know, I did it last year without gym access for like three months. So it'd be nice to actually be back in the gym. Um, in a sense, I'm have my eyes looking towards 2026, which would be close to five years from now. Um, I think. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. scarily, that is only five years from now. <laughs> yeah. So I, I would hope that my five year plan would be aiming towards qualifying for those games. Um, but as we know, sport is completely unknown and that could not be, that could not be in the cards. And I think I've kind of, obviously that's what I've started to explore with, with, game plan and some other people um just talking about what I really want to do post sport and I'm very lucky to have all this work experience I'm gathering while I'm still an athlete and then it's kind of going to be season from there of where where I'm called to um so just trying to figure out what that looks like and and where it will be and all that and who knows if the job even exists yet but really it just comes down to I want to make an impact within the sporting world and within my community. And I want to figure out how I can best do that. So that's going to be what I'll be sitting on between all my sliding runs over the next few years. I'll be sure to share a, a link to your link to your podcast alongside this, alongside this episode. Um, and what really stands out to me is that final statement you made there. And I think it's really representative of how values driven you are in terms of wanting to make a difference, pursuing, uh, lines of work outside of athletics that are very uh, community and values driven. Yeah, I'm. I don't know why I have this such a need to to just like help. Um, you know, a lot of people are like, "Well, where does it come from?" And I'm like, "I don't know. It's just there." Um, and it's part of it is yeah, I just want to make an impact. And as I've shared a little bit, my journey wasn't always linear and straightforward and great. So I, if there's any way I can help ease that. Um, I want to, and also just, you know, it might not be in high performance sport as well. So I just want to inspire people that, you know, any level of sport and being physically active is awesome. And I just want to make sure that people have the opportunity to be a part of it. Yeah. And, and props for really like living in the experience as you're going, right. You chatted about your work experience alongside your athletic career and how uh, you're just kind of, you know, enjoying the ride in that aspect and taking on those experiences and, and letting that flow, knowing that, you know, the future is pretty unknown for us as athletes and professionals too. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned your team. You, you're obviously supported by a fantastic team of, of professionals, of friends, of family. You want to, do you talk a little bit about them? Give them a little bit of a shout out here? Of course. Yeah. So, I mean, first off, I, my family, um, family and my boyfriend are the biggest, you know, they're how I make it through day by day there who holds down the fort in Calgary when I spend close to 80 days on the road per year um and at the end of the day they don't care whether I'm an athlete or not I come home and I'm just there so like I mean this journey isn't possible without all of them my family's given me every opportunity in the world um and I couldn't be couldn't be more proud um to kind of like represent them so they're with me on the start line everywhere I go Moving on to like the other side, the less sappy side, but um, Kids Sport Calgary, they and Sport Calgary co are like the founders of our podcast or host our podcast, I guess, gave us a producer. So, um, yes, thank you to them for putting a microphone in front of my face. I'm a Kids Sport Calgary ambassador. And if you don't know what Kids Sport is, basically, they help fund registration fees that so that basically there's no barrier to access sport in your community. So, wherever you are in Canada, find your local chapter, look them up see what's up um i'm based in calgary and area but there are lots all across the country um my work classroom champions obviously you know they've given me remote working opportunity that i never thought would be possible you know so i'm thankful for them and they also motivate me every day to to be better and and be better at both and both areas of my life um my actual team in itself that support me through skeleton um vital strength physiology my strength um and conditioning crew basically who tore, who helped me tear everything down and rebuild. They've been through it all with me and they're still here. Um, Les Gromantic, my track coach, took me on basically as a slow athlete and made me into a fast athlete. So I have to thank him. That's the perfect um, testimonial. 
Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> we actually interviewed him in one of the podcasts. So if anyone's looking for a really good one, um, less worked for Athletics Canada. He's Eastern European descent, pole vaulted himself and has coached many multi-eventers. So I'll plug, I'll plug my episode in there as well for that one. There's lots of other great ones, but Les is a really good guy. Um, and then, yeah, uh, just a few other 360 Brain Body Coalition Calgary. And then Sniper Skeleton, who my friend Michaela Widmer um, co-founded with another skeleton coach, uh, Joe Ciccini. And they're like my personal coaching team. And I probably also would have retired if they hadn't come into the fold. Um, and started their club skeleton right as right as I was kind of going through it all they retired and started this like private coaching program and I became a part of it and they believed in me so yeah that's just just a small snippet if you follow me on Instagram you know I shout out people all the time if you're interested in finding them you can kind of go through my Instagram and find them all there but yeah it takes a bit Thank you for sharing those. I'll be sure to to tag them along with this uh, this episode, and I'll share them in the description and stuff, so everyone can go and check that out. Great. So we're kind of coming to the end of time here, um, but thank you again for for your time. I know you're kind of busy, and you're in training camp, and you're between video review and meetings and sliding practice. So I, I appreciate grabbing an hour of your time to talk about this. I think like a ton of fantastic insights, whether you're a recreational athlete or or a high performer. Um, do, you, do you have a number one takeaway for us? Any final words? Uh, yeah, I mean, there. I, I mean, we kind of did mini mic drops along the way. So, I mean, you could go back. But I think just don't let what someone else's de- definitions of success, like define what your success looks like and really own what what your successes are. And you just mentioned it, whether you're a weekend warrior or you're a high-performance athlete, like success means something different to all of us. But find what it is to you and really like strive for it. Um, yeah, I guess that's in a sense where I'll leave things. <laughs> where can people connect with you, Grace? Where can they follow along your journey? Where can they follow? I, I see you post great training content all the time. Where can they connect with you? So number one, my website is just Grace Dafo. So G-R-A-C-E-D-A-F-O-E.ca. Um, and then, you know, from there, my all my stuff is linked in there. You can email me straight through my website, um, Instagram at Grace Dafo if you want to see, yeah, all the awesome sliding, sliding and training videos and Twitter. If you like to debate and stuff, find me at Grace Dafo there too. But all in all, if you just search Grace Dafo, it's not a very common name. My stuff will come up. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you again for your time here. I, I am really appreciated of it. I know you're kind of between a bunch of commitments and I appreciate you making time to chat to me and thanks for all the insights. That's, that was wonderful. No problem. Thanks for having me. And I'm always happy to share. And like I said, I hope that I hope someone has a takeaway and an impact. Um, so if you're listening and you've had an impact, it was all worth it. Thank you so much for joining me in that conversation with Grace Defoe. I loved hearing Grace's journey into high performance, the perseverance to overcome setbacks along the way, and how she balances her career, both on and off the ice. If you enjoyed this content and want to see more like it, then please share it with those around you and subscribe to the channel. I've been Andre Manzouk, and this has been Mountain Mindset. Until next time.